Jay Sigurd here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. Jay Sigurd here. Thanks for joining me on today's broadcast. We are taking a very short break from our regularly scheduled programming to bring you an important message from our sponsor, Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. It's Christmas time. Uh, three days away to be exact. I will explain the reasoning for this brief interlude, but before we delve into today's episode, um, make sure you subscribe to these podcasts and again, tell a friend. And if you could leave a five-star review, I always appreciate that. That helps us greatly. So what can you expect today in this interruption? Well, as I mentioned, it's Christmas time. You can blame my daughter for the disruption in our current series, which has been entitled Creation in Six Days. Now, of course, if you enjoy today's special episode, I will take all of the credit. See, what happened was I was out for lunch with a couple guys and my daughter was with, and I started talking about recording the podcast. And she said, well, you've got to do something about Christmas. And I said, well, we're in the middle of a series in creation in six days. She said, Dad, it's, it's Christmas. you got to do something about Christmas. And I just thought, no, you, I can't interrupt this momentum that we have going. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought she's probably right as usual. And I just felt more and more convicted. Yeah, I can take a break. It's not the end of the world. I can take a break, do something about Christmas, which would be more relevant for everyone listening, especially if you're listening to it live and at the time that it's released. So we are going to talk about Christmas, but a very unique angle. I'm going to discuss a very creative way to share your faith during the Christmas season and when it's often very challenging. you got in-laws coming over, relatives, friends, co-workers, whomever, and it can be really difficult to talk about your faith during these times. You, you can probably all relate to that. And again, in our previous podcasts, I've always acknowledged we have a wide base of an audience here, uh, anywhere from very strong Christians all the way to atheists, everywhere in between. This topic certainly is geared more towards the Christian who believes in what they believe and would like to share it with others. But I think it'll be pretty intriguing too to the skeptic, and you'll see why. So you you won't want to skip this one. This will be a good one. So this is going to be a unique way to share your faith without getting in the face of anyone, without being shut down, like, or leave your religion out of this. This can be very powerful. This is not a one-size-fits-all. Like, this is always what you have to do. It works every time. Everyone should always do that. It's not that. It's just a creative way to kind of come in a back door with this. When when you come in the front door normally, you get shut down right away and you're done and there's tension in the room and it's just a lot of people don't look forward to getting together during Christmas, which is very unfortunate. Understandable, but also very unfortunate. So I'm going to talk about something that I call low-hanging fruit. We all know what low-hanging fruit is. It's, it's easy stuff to get. Well, Christmas should be a time of low-hanging fruit. Why is that? Because it's Christmas time. Christmas is centered around the arrival, the birth of Jesus Christ, the central figure and focus 
of the Christian worldview. That's what it's all about. Pretty much everyone around the world celebrates Christmas, directly or indirectly. I think there are a lot of atheists who love Christmas time, not because of Jesus, but it's just kind of a fun time. There's more laughter, people are encouraged in general. It's fun. You do get together with friends and family and have good food and all these things. There's a lot of fun behind it. I get that. So I think a lot of people celebrate Christmas even though they don't care anything about Jesus. But it is fairly universal. Now, since it's Christmas, instead of low-hanging fruit, maybe it should be low-hanging fruit cake. Um, That might be apropos here. But um, I'm going to be stepping through some things that I actually presented, I don't know, a little over a week ago. There's a group called C-Suite for Christ. Now, if you don't know what C-Suite is, you're in good company. Because when I first heard that name, I thought, that's a weird name. Who came up with that? (laughs) And then I was given the explanation. C-Suite. Um, CEOs, CFOs, COOs, all the higher-up execs in companies, they are in the C-suite because of their titles. So this is a Christian organization um, suited to executives at different companies and businesses and nonprofits and all that. So uh, I've been part of the group now for a while. Paul M. Newberger is the one who founded it, and it's exploded across the country. I've given a few talks for them. They're actually going to be doing a Grand Canyon tour with us next year. That's going to be awesome. But about a week ago, they had someone else scheduled to speak. Something happened and and it fell through. Paul contacted me and said, hey, would you you fill in? I said, sure. He said, can you do something related to Christmas? Which made sense. But I wasn't sure like exactly what I'm going to do. I don't have Christmas talks ready to go. But I slapped one together. I mean, I carefully crafted a talk for their group and it actually turned out really well. And it it came across very well. It was very well received. And so I'm going to kind of give you the nuts and bolts of that in this podcast. And one of the previous talks I gave to this group of executives was geared towards how do you share your faith in the workplace? That can be challenging. And it covered a number of points One of the points was related to what I call the setup. How do you set things up so that you can ease into these conversations? And even within the setup, there were a number of things I covered, but one of them was specifically about a smooth transition. It is not effective to walk up to someone and say, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior so that you can go to heaven when you die? Uh, It's not effective, and it's kind of weird. That's not normal conversation, and you should expect people to look at you like you're a little strange and not want to make eye contact. I get that. So it's just not not a wise approach. So ideally, you want to be able to smoothly get into these conversations. So I brought that up in general. I think I shared like three different uh, personal examples out of tons that I have. One had to do with when I was in field service engineering many years ago, traveling around the country and a little bit out of the country. Uh, I was working with another guy, and I was training him. He was new. And I said, hey, Mark, let's say our boss gives us two projects. One of them, we have to drive across town, work this afternoon, and then we'll be home for supper. The other one is 
we have to fly down to South America because there's this huge copper mine down there in Chukicamata, and we're going to be there a couple of years working at this plant, setting up these compressors and whatever. I said, which of those two projects would you want to know more about? And Mark said, well, yeah, the, the one in Chile, I would want to know more about that because that's two years. We'd have to be able to prepare for that and figure out all the details. And I said, yeah, you're right. That makes a lot more sense. And then I just said, you know, human beings are on this planet 70, 80, 90 years or so. And then from that point on, when they die, it's from that point on. Whatever you believe, it is from that point on. So which of those two scenarios do you think it makes sense to get a little more detail about? The few years that we're actually here, or in a sense, eternity from that point on? And he kind of had to logically agree, well, I guess it makes sense to know a little bit more about eternity and what's going to happen at that point. And then I asked him if he had ever thought about that. And we, we took our conversation from there. And I'm going to shorten this up. The whole point is I took something very natural for he and I to talk about, something we had in common, something we were really dealing with. And then I used that as an analogy to talk about eternity and spiritual things in general. It's a very smooth transition. I gave another example at this meeting um, last week about COVID, how everyone was dealing with it. And I explained how you could use that topic. I also talked about the health club where I work out, meeting some guy who wanted to come over and sell me some life insurance. And I won't go into that one right now. It's kind of a cool transition. But anyway, I used normal things to get into these conversations. So we're going to kind of do that, talking about evangelizing, sharing your faith during Christmas. Now, we are all dealing with the elephant in the living room. Now, if you're not familiar with that phrase, uh, the elephant in the living room. Picture sitting around in someone's living room, a bunch of friends, and they're all talking and having a good time, and you're sitting on the couch, and right in front of you is this massive elephant. It's an elephant. It looks like an elephant. It smells like an elephant. It's making noises like an elephant. It's moving like an elephant, and you're looking around, and no one else is acknowledging it. It's like it doesn't even exist, and you're like, hello, <laughs> does anyone else see this elephant that's here? So it's something that's big and obvious and in your face, but people are just ignoring it. That's kind of what happens during Christmas. The elephant, in a sense, is we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. But you go through the Christmas season, and a lot of people go through the entire thing acting as if it's not about the birth of Jesus, this person who entered the world, who claimed to be the Messiah and all that. You just kind of get through Christmas, and if you bring it up, you are in big trouble. Because Christmas is just a time to have fun and get together with friends and have good food and share good memories and all that. That's what it's really about. It's about giving. It's about Christmas is it's a feeling in your heart, right? I mean, that's what the world has made it all about. And honestly, a lot of Christians have, have adopted that too. They go through Christmas and it's largely about those other things and not so much about Jesus. It's easy to fall into that trap. Well, think about this. Can you think of any other major events in history that we we just don't talk about because there's a religious element to them, like the Spanish Inquisition? That was a major event in history. It's a historical thing. It actually happened. Do we not talk about it in our public schools and universities and anywhere else because, well, it had to do with some Catholicism and other things and beliefs 
No, we, it happened in history. It was something that happened. You can talk about it without pushing a religious view or telling anyone else today what they need to believe when it comes to faith in God or anything. You can talk about something that happened in history. Do we avoid talking about the Holocaust because it involved the Jews and their beliefs and Nazi Germany and all that? No, this was a horrific event that happened actually not that long ago. But we don't ignore it altogether because there are religious aspects to it. Same thing, bringing it up to speed, the Middle East conflict, Arabs and Israelis, that's really come to a head right now with the war that's going on. Do we just ignore it altogether because it does involve beliefs of some Muslims and some Jews? And No, we can talk about it. It's something happening right now, and it's going to be part of history going forward. So why do we do that with Christmas? Christmas is not about Santa Claus. That's, that's not a news flash to anyone. Now, Santa Claus has become a huge part of Christmas. It kind of deflects attention away from Jesus. When, you know, with kids, you ask them about Christmas, they'll mention Santa Claus long before they really mention Jesus. But it's not about Santa Claus. It is about Jesus. If we didn't have Jesus, we would not have Christmas. Here's another interesting angle. Can you think of any other person in history, a significant personality in history, who all we ever do is talk about and recognize their birthday. Let's say Napoleon. Oh, isn't it awesome? Today is Napoleon's birthday. Can you believe that? Oh, who's Napoleon? Oh, nope. Can't talk about him. What did he do? Nope. Can't talk about him, but it's his birthday today. That's amazing. Well, that would be crazy. How about Alexander the Great? It's his birthday. Amazing. So who was this guy? When did he live? What did he do? Nope. Not going there. No, not talking about that at all. But boy, is it exciting that it's his birthday. Or Muhammad, or Einstein, or anyone. Well, Jesus Christ changed the world more than any other historical figure. Independent of what you think of him, the world changed more based on the arrival and life of Jesus Christ than any other person in history. You could talk about the other people, but you can't really talk in detail about Jesus. So, who is this Jesus? I mean, there are very few people on this planet who say Jesus never even existed. Some do, but there's probably no belief out there that someone doesn't hold. As crazy as it might be, someone's going to hold that crazy belief. But the vast majority of everyone else recognizes roughly 2,000 years ago, there was a person on this planet named Jesus. He actually existed. He was a real person. Even atheists recognize, yeah, there was a guy named Jesus back then. They don't think he's God or anything, but I mean, sure, this guy lived 2,000 years ago. So who is Jesus? Well, many people, many people may be coming to your homes this Christmas season or homes you will be in. They will be quick to say, well, Jesus, you know, he was a, he was a great moral teacher. He had so many good things to say and nuggets of truth and wisdom and all this. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't give us that option. He didn't give us that option, and it doesn't even make sense. What did Jesus claim about himself? He actually claimed to be the Son of God. You can check out Matthew 26, 63, where they were throwing that at him, and he didn't deny it at all. If you read it in context, yeah, he was admitting he's the Son of God. 
He claimed to be one with God. That's John 10.30. He actually claimed to be God. John 8.58, talking to the Pharisees, Jesus brings up Abraham, that he lived to see his day, and they're like, you're not even 50 years old. How would you have known Abraham? And Jesus, in his response, he did not say, before Abraham was, I even was. Like, I, I was even around, yeah, even prior to Abraham. He didn't say that. He said, before Abraham was, I am. That was a clear claim to be the I am, which if you know the Old Testament, that's God. So Jesus shows up and he tells the Pharisees, I am God. And they understood him to be claiming to be God because they took up stones to stone him to death because that's blasphemy. Anyone who's claiming to be God should be stoned to death. Jesus made the claim. They knew he was making that claim, and they tried to kill him for it. Jesus also claimed to be the only way to God, John 14, 6. And there's a lot of other verses that we could quote here. But these are the claims he made. He's the son of God. He's one with God. He's the only way to God. And he's actually God himself. Those are the claims he made. So now we have three options responding to those claims. One option would be to say those things were not true, and he knew it. Jesus lied. He claimed to be God. He knew he wasn't God, but he lied about it. Well, if he lied about it, he's not a good moral teacher. So if you want to see him as a good moral teacher, but you think he lied about his claims, you're contradicting your own evaluation. You can't be a good moral teacher if you're lying about major things like that. Second option is he didn't lie at all. He wasn't God. He wasn't the Son of God or any of those things. But he actually thought he was. He was deluded, thinking he's actually God. That makes him a lunatic. And if he's a lunatic, he certainly can't be a good moral teacher. The third and final option is the things that he said were true. He actually is the Son of God. He's God himself. He's the only way that would make him Lord. So he's a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. You can ask those around you. This person that everyone agrees lived 2,000 years ago, who do you think he was? And if they throw out, oh, he's a good moral teacher and we could learn a lot from some of the things he said, you could very graciously point out uh, that doesn't really cut it because of these claims he made about himself. Do you, so you, do you think he lied about those claims or he was just deluded about them or they were perhaps true, which makes him Lord? It, what? What is your decision? How do you view that? You don't really have other options. So you're just you're asking questions about a historical fe- uh, figure. You are not pushing your religion on them. You're asking them not only about a historical event, but about the very historical event that they're celebrating right now in your house, in their house. It's Christmas focused on Christ. So who is this guy that we made this celebration around? What is your personal opinion about that? Well, all right, is there any evidence that the claims Jesus made are actually true? Well, we're going to get into some probability here, specifically in just a little bit, but here's background. Let's say you're playing cards with someone, and I I play cards once in a while, I don't gamble at all, but 
uh, I found out that a Royal Flush is like the top hand you can have. Again, I'm not that much of a card player, but that's my understanding. It's a pretty powerful hand there. So let's say you're playing cards with someone and that person is dealt, dealt a Royal Flush. And so you just lose right away. You're just like, oh my word, what, what are the chances? I sit down to play cards. Let's say you're gambling. And the one time I'm going to gamble, the opponent gets a Royal Flush. What are the chances? Well, I'm going to round it off here so you don't get lost in the numbers. That person had a one chance in 650,000 of getting a Royal Flush. Is that impossible? No, it's not impossible. Just very, very unlikely. But that day you sat down, they got the Royal Flush. You're frustrated. So you're thinking, I, I want to win my money back here. So I'll play again. So you play again and they get another Royal Flush. You're like, that's crazy. There's no way. All right, I'll play one more time. I'll get my money back. And the third time, they get another Royal Flush. They got three Royal Flushes in a row. All right, what are the chances of that? The chances of someone being dealt three Royal Flushes in a row is just one chance in a hundred million billion. At that point, you would be screaming, you're cheating. There is no way they're going to get three Royal Flushes in a row. You can legitimately claim that they are cheating. Something is rigged here. So keep that in mind. The chances of three Royal Flushes, which is not going to happen, is one chance in a hundred million billion. We'll get back to that. We are now going to take a look at prophecy in the Bible. Prophecy related to the Messiah. Again, big picture here is that God creates everything. Adam and Eve mess it up. God has a plan to save the world, which means he's going to send his own son, the Messiah, to die on a cross to pay for the sins of the world. We know that today is being Jesus. So these prophecies in the Old Testament, before it's spelling out the name Jesus directly, it's saying the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. So the Jews were constantly looking for the Messiah, and they had all these prophecies about this coming Messiah. Well, prophecies were given so that when the Messiah shows up, we know who it is. If the Bible just said the Messiah is going to be at least six foot tall and a male, uh, I would qualify, and so would tons of other people. How would we know which one is actually the Messiah? But the Bible gives us so many prophecies, there's no way someone's going to coincidentally fulfill them. If someone does fulfill them, we know that's the Messiah that the Bible is referring to. And Romans 5, 6 says, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. There are other verses, too, that talk about in the fullness of time, Christ came. There was a perfect timing in God's timeline of when Christ, this Messiah, would arrive. And the Bible talks about that, specifically in the Old Testament book of Daniel. There's lots of prophecy there. Really cool. I'm going to have to give you the short version of this because there's so much we could cover I wish I had time to do a quick overview um, from creation all the way up to the arrival of Christ. I did do that in an earlier podcast when I talked about the Old Testament in a nutshell. I went through the entire timeline for time's sake. I'm going to skip that for now and just talk about this prophecy that is specifically geared towards the arrival of this Messiah. Whoever this Messiah is going to be, the Bible talks about when this Messiah will arrive. Now, Daniel, he was writing when the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin were taken into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. 
And so you have Daniel in the lion's den there, and you have King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, where the king has a dream, and he wants people to interpret it. Now, if you told someone your dream, and then they interpreted it, they said, oh, I think it means this, 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 and that. They can make up anything they want. So King Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm not even going to tell you the dream. You got to tell me the dream and what it means. And his astrologers and soothsayers and all that were like, well, that's not fair. At least tell us what the dream is and we'll tell you what it means. Well, the king's not a dumb guy. He knows you could just make something up. So he says, if no one can tell me what my dream is and interpret it, I'm putting all of these prophets to death. Well, God gets a hold of Daniel and says, Daniel, go to King Nebuchadnezzar. I will help you and tell him what this dream was and interpret it. So this is big statue, head of gold, you know, arms and chest of silver, and then brass and legs of iron and all that. What was cool is Daniel predicted the succession of nations to come in the future. So he told King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. That, that sounds pretty good. He liked that. But then he said, you're going to fall to the Medo-Persians. And the Medo-Persians are going to fall to the Greeks. And the Greeks, you know, they're going to fall to the Romans. Romans aren't really going to fall to anyone. They're going to pretty much self-destruct. But in the end times, they will be united again, probably the United European Union. Um, and then eventually Christ is going to return. But anyway, Daniel foretold all of that. And that's exactly what happened in history. King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon did fall to the Medo-Persians. Medo-Persians fell to the Greeks. Greeks fell to the Romans. And Romans didn't fall to another nation. Pretty much just self-destructed, kind of like the U.S.'s uh, doing right now, it's a whole nother topic, but there's already inklings of this united European nations coming in together again, which the Bible predicted. So all of that's in Daniel, that's specifically in Daniel chapter 2 there, but Daniel also gives some other prophecies as well. He specifically talks about the timing of the arrival of this Messiah that we've been talking about, and it's the 70-week prophecy of Daniel. And in prophetic passages, weeks are typically weeks of years. So a week would be seven years. So it's 70 times seven years total. And Daniel 9, 24 through 26 says that 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. The main focus here is Daniel's talking about a period of 70 weeks from a beginning point until an end point. And those 70 weeks are divided up. When you read the entire text, it's divided up into two major portions, 69 weeks and then a 70th week. And even the 69 weeks is broken up further into seven weeks and 62. So I don't want to get overly complicated without visuals here. But the first period of 69 weeks, which are 69 weeks of years, there's a seven-week period that is first talked about. So seven weeks of years, that's 49 years. So Daniel was saying from the beginning of this period... Till 49 years later, that's the time until the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So from a decree going out until Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt, he prophesied it'll be 49 years. And then he references 62 weeks of years. 62 times 7, 434 years. 
So then Daniel says, after another 434 years, that's when the Messiah is going to come, but he's going to be arriving and he'll be cut off, like being crucified. <laughs> Instead of ruling and reigning right away, he arrives, but he gets cut off. That's Daniel's prophecy. So let's go through just a little bit of calculation as best we can do through an audio podcast. What's the start point? Well, it's from verse 25 in chapter 9 of Daniel, from the going forth of the commandment to restore, to uh, rebuild Jerusalem. That's the start point from this commandment, the commandment that says, okay, go rebuild Jerusalem. That's when the period starts, and the ending is the Messiah, the Prince, when the Messiah, the uh, Prince, arrives, beginning and end. Well, from historical records, we know the decree was given by Artaxerxes Longimaeus, March 14th, 445 B.C. So for listening to this, just roughly think about 445 B.C. is when the, the period, the clock starts of Daniel's 69 weeks leading up to the Messiah. The end point, well, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey yeah, on Palm Sunday, just before he's crucified. That was the first time in his ministry that he publicly accepted praise and recognition as the promised Messiah. He did this publicly for the first time. So that is his entry publicly into Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified. So that's the end point. All right, if we do a little bit of a calculation, we know the start point, March 14th, 445 B.C. You have to add 69 weeks of years. Well, again, weeks of years, 69 times 7 years, that's 483 years. The Jews had 360 days in their year on their calendar. So 483 years times 360 days, you get a total of 173,880 days. I, I know this is a lot of math, a lot of numbers here. You can write it down later if you want, or you can watch our video series, which uh, on the inspiration of the Bible, where I go through this, you can see it visually. So we know a start point, and we know how many total days there are. We have the start point in March of 445 BC. You add 173,880 days to it, and you end up with April 6th, 32 AD, which is the date we believe Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, uh, claiming to be the Messiah publicly, and then getting cut off. He was crucified after that. Now, some people say, oh, wait a minute, you know, some people quibble over exactly when the decree was given out or this or that. I think this is pretty solid. However, let me give you that. Let's say, oh, there are quibbles over some of these dates. All right, fine. You tell me anyone else, anywhere near the time of Jesus, which is when this would refer to, if you're off a few days or months here or there, or whatever it might, you think it might be, who else is it pointing to? If it's not pointing to Jesus Christ, who else during that time period qualifies as a Messiah? It matches up with all these prophecies in the Old Testament. There's nobody. It's got to be Jesus. This is very, very powerful. And that's the main point. The prophecies were given a long ahead of time, almost 500 years. Jesus shows up and he fulfills the timing of that prophecy. In fact, Jesus fulfills at least 300 prophecies concerning who this coming promised Messiah would be. Now again, the reason for so many is if there were just one or two, a lot of people might coincidentally fulfill those prophecies. But when you have 300, 
It's only going to happen if that person truly is the Messiah. A lot of those prophecies are outside of the control of anyone. Uh, He's born in Bethlehem. You can't control where you are born. You can't control what the king happens to do at the time when you're a baby, that Herod would kill all these children. You can't control how you were put to death. There's, you go through this whole list. There are so many that are totally outside of the control of Jesus or anyone else. So you can't say, well, he just forced all those to happen. No, that, that doesn't cut it at all. We're going to look back at probability again. We're going to wind down with this. What are the chances that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies? Let's just say, oh, he, he's not really the Messiah. He just coincidentally you know, fulfilled them, and it just kind of looks that way, but he wasn't really that prophesied Messiah. Okay, in order to look at these prophecies, we need to touch on some big numbers. A million. If you have one in a million chance, it's not the best, but it's not impossible. A million is one with six zeros. So you can write that as 10 raised to the sixth. A billion is much bigger. That's one with nine zeros. That's 10 raised to the ninth. That's a one with nine zeros after it. We need to look at a much bigger number. How about the estimated number of electrons in the entire known universe? That has to be a massive, massive number, right? You can write that as a 1 followed by 80 zeros. Now, maybe you're thinking that 80 is smaller than it should be. My point is, no, that's how big that is. A 1 with 80 zeros after it is so incredibly huge. It's about the number of electrons in the entire known universe. A 1 with 80 zeros. Okay, with that in mind, what are the chances that Jesus fulfilled not all 300, just 48 of the major details of the 300? We're not even going to look at all 300 right now. What are the chances he fulfilled just 48 of the 300? One chance in a one followed by 157 zeros. That number is so much bigger. That is one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. That's 13 trillions. That's for 48 of these prophecies. And at this point, that number is so big, it's just a big number, but it makes getting three royal flushes, it makes that pale in comparison to this. Let me end with one other analogy so you know how massive this number is. A Rubik's Cube. I've mentioned it in some of my talks in the past. A Rubik's Cube has a lot of different combinations to it. In fact, it has 10 million trillion combinations. So if you are blindfolded and you're spinning it away randomly, you have one chance in 10 million trillion of getting it right. No sane person says, yeah, I I could do that. Let's compare solving the Rubik's Cube by accident to Jesus fulfilling just just 48 of these prophecies. It'd be like me handing you the cube, putting the blindfold on, you start spinning it away randomly, and you solve the cube eight times in a row, getting it right every single time. Is that ever going to happen? No, not even close What does this say? It says two major things. Number one, Jesus is that Messiah because he fulfilled every one of those prophecies. And secondarily, it means that the writers who wrote those prophecies, they must have been inspired. If they were making that stuff up, Jesus wouldn't have been fulfilling all of that. They would have gotten a lot of those prophecies wrong. So it's very powerful evidence for the Christian worldview, and again, every single person listening to me has to answer the question, 
Who is Jesus? It's Christmas time. Christmas is unquestionably centered around the birth of Jesus Christ, who was here 2,000 years ago. So who was he? In your mind, who was he? Did he lie about who he was? He's not really God. He lied about it. Uh, he wasn't God. He just thought he was. He was deluded, so it makes him a lunatic. So was he a liar, a lunatic, or is he actually Lord? He really is the Savior of the world. He's the only way to God. That's the claim that he made, and he backed it up over and over and over. This is not about pushing religion on anyone. This is about looking at a historical event, something that actually happened. What do you think about that? If you want to think he's a lunatic or a liar, that's fine, but please help me understand what is your evidence for that? What drew you to that conclusion? Are you confident or does it just make you more comfortable? And ending with this, not only did Jesus come as the Messiah and he died for the sins of the world and he rose again the third day, he's coming back. (laughs) Are you excited about that or kind of worried? That's another good question. If you are a Christian and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you ought to be so excited about it, you can't help but tell other people, even at Christmas time, especially at Christmas time, because you want them to know the truth. You care. You're not trying to win an argument with them. You are excited about it and you want that same excitement for them. Or are you worried about it? You're not quite sure about this Jesus thing. You believe that he existed and maybe you know he was a good guy and all that. Maybe he was from God. I don't know. Maybe he's even the son of God. That's just head knowledge. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus by having placed your trust in his work, his death and resurrection as payment, sole payment of your sins? You can't work hard and be a good person to earn your way to heaven. You won't find that in the Bible at all. Most people think that that's that's what religion's all about, working really hard to achieve some standard. The biblical standard is impossibly high, 100% perfection. You can't do it. I can't do it. That's why Jesus came as a baby and grew up and died on a cross to pay for the sins of the world is a free gift. It's by placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that's this message of uh, a unique approach to talking about Jesus, even when it's taboo at Christmas time. It shouldn't be taboo, but it is. The world makes it taboo. This is a backdoor approach to just talking about something that happened in history and asking follow-up questions. So who do you think Jesus was, and what are you doing about it? I hope that's encouraging to you. I want to say Merry Christmas to you, no matter who you are, even if you're an atheist listening to this. I hope you have the most awesome Christmas you have ever had. And that is not a shot at you. That is the most encouraging thing I can say. I hope it's amazing for you in the sense that you get to know Jesus Christ personally and let him transform your life. So, Appreciate you listening to this brief interlude as we've taken a break from our normal series. What can you expect next? We'll jump back into a topic that isn't nearly as important. When you when you step uh, directly away from Jesus, it can be important, but it's, it can't be as important. But we're going to go back into our Creation in Six Days series, finish that up, talking about its significance, what does Scripture actually teach on that, and what do we really know from science? That's going to be absolutely fascinating. So thanks again for joining me. Merry Christmas. We'll catch you next time. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and The Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.